Well, all the way from Laverne, California, I want to introduce to you uh, someone. Uh, We have something a little different happening tonight. We're going to pause our sermon series in Genesis uh, right there where we left off in chapter 20, and we will resume next Friday night, uh, Lord willing. And I would like to give you guys a little, a little relief from Genesis because you're in the, you're in the throes, that's T-H-R-O-E-S, of midterms. Uh, you can't actually physically throw a midterm. You can, but it, I wouldn't advise it. Uh, so because you're in midterm mode, we're going to let your brains relax with a little uh, just old school Q&A. But rather than you know, those, those who, who would raise their hand without first processing, we ask for questions in advance on the Facebook and whatnot. So uh, we have someone from, again, Laverne, California, uh, the one and only. He's a research assistant at Cedar sinai He's the tallest uh, GOCer in the room, and he is uh, wearing a really clean shirt. Uh, so a lot, lot to look forward to tonight. Please give a warm welcome to the host of our conversation, uh, it's, again, an Austin-themed night, uh, two Austin interviews. They've, they've definitely had enough Austins after, after this, this uh, full serving of double Austin. But please, welcome my friend and yours, Caleb Ting. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. You look clean and just great. Thank you. Okay, Thank where you. are we going? We're going to move up. up to the stage. Okay, lead the way, buddy. Lead the way. Let's not be standing for okay. the entire time. So, you guys, this is, this is uh, all, another game that's, that's a fun game. It's also known as Stump the Duncan. Uh, Stump the Duncan. And it's really one of the easiest games you can play. So, it would be, I'm, I'm highly stumpable. Look, I found a fancy chair from the 1940s. I'm just going to so, take this one. Stump the Duncan. Okay. I feel exposed up here up high. It is. It's I'm glad I don't preach up here. Uh, what's up with the, with the... What's wrong with those first couple rows? Let's talk about that. Diseased. There'll be, there'll be bonus points. Extra credit. I know you guys are big extra credit people. Oh, no. uh, extra credit in future weeks when you sit in those, those earlier rows. Just so you know, extra credit. Okay, Caleb, yeah. so you've asked, you've asked for questions. The people These have are, spoken. The people have spoken. I like to do this because not, I, it's, I'm kidding. It's not really Stump the Duncan. It's really easy to Stump the Duncan. Uh, what we're doing is this is helpful for me, just pastorally, to kind of know what you're thinking and what's on your mind and to remind you that, that I don't have all the answers, but I, I do believe God does. And so hopefully we'll be able to just find some help and some practical application in the questions. So, Caleb, what kind of questions do we have? I, and I've asked to not see the questions in advance. Yes, that's right, that's right. You he don't. offered to send them to me multiple times. At least five. It's better that I do not see them in advance. Okay, okay. Then, then Such a thing as overcooking a pot roast. Oh. Whatever that means. Do you speak from experience or? Yeah. Austin, what did you say earlier when you said, like, that thing? Did you say something or were you, what were you saying? You, you, I was, David would not allow it without interpretation. I trust David. Did you say something in Mandarin? Oh, you said I'm an American. That's funny. So for some of us, we just now got the joke. Okay. 
Well, we thought it'd be appropriate um, for our first question to just try to get to know you. This is going to be fun. Okay, that's... It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited. I want I'm you to relax. Don't be nervous. I make, I make Caleb really nervous. Caleb is uh, type A, and uh, he is organized. He uses Excel, and he leads our A team. He used to lead our A team ministry. Um, I did hear this week that you gambled away your leadership of A team. True or false? False. Okay. True or false? You were playing basketball. You're scooting awfully close. Um, <laughs> you were... You were playing basketball. Correct. Not Someone was at half court and they said, if I make this, I become the leader of a team. That wasn't last week though. Oh, when was that? That was last quarter. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Okay. And the person made the shot. That is correct. Yeah. And so you're actually not really the leader of a team. I should leave the stage. Just no, no, no. I want you to stay. Oh, okay. I just, okay. I just, I heard that story today. So Yeah witnesses yeah i'm just a figure i'm just a figurehead you know we're grateful there. for your ministry thank you for <laughs> caleb organizes all the things yeah. and that's, yeah. it, it's it's really my team that does the organizing so i'd have to think my I team i call the but, team caleb oh okay that's cool too <laughs> well we thought it'd be appropriate to get to know you so I'm just going to hide these from you. Our first, question, our first question for you is, what is your testimony? We want to know that about you. Okay, short, sure. <laughs> they made a noise at that question. Um, so short version, I was, uh, I, I think the best way to say it is when I was in elementary school, my family moved around a lot. Every year we'd live somewhere else and one year we moved to a little town in Arizona and our next door neighbors invited us to a Christian church. And I heard the gospel for the first time from a Sunday school teacher and I responded to it. And uh, I believed that Jesus is God and that it's the only way to have my sins forgiven was trusting in him since I was a, since I was a, a kid. And so I, I grew up going to church after that, before that, no, no real experience with church. And yeah, I think that's when God got a hold of my heart when I was probably nine years old. So that, that's, I think, my testimony, a, a quick version. Um, and, and some of you have a testimony like that. You, you didn't, like, we weren't in a gang and, you know, selling meth. Uh, but you, you had, you know, maybe faithful Christian parents, uh, and they taught you, you know, the gospel from a young age. I was talking to some sophomore guys today, and they were... Uh, talking about how, you know, they, they've always, they don't remember a time when they didn't believe the gospel. So that, that can be a powerful testimony too. God can show himself faithful in a testimony like that, um, that, that he never let you indulge in an experience of a full-blown rebelliousness, but you have the same sinful heart that everyone else has. So uh, you can rejoice and thank God in a testimony that's not as uh, dangerous or exciting uh, as others. So that's my testimony in a nutshell. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fast answers. There's a lot of pages. That's there. true. We're there through as much as we can. There's actually two copies, but I'm I'll just looking leave that forward one there. to talking less about me too. So. Okay. Well, so that's just a little tidbit of Austin. Um, but we just want to move on. You know, we go to Grace Church every single Sunday, and I've so I've seen you there. Yes, I yeah. I've been going. I yeah. have. You know, it's yeah. a it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and so we just want to know, you know, a little bit about Grace Church. So okay. people have asked. So why does Grace Church use the NASB Bible? Oh, um, <laughs> I think that's an easy answer because MacArthur does. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Um, he hasn't always used the NASB Bible because he is older than the NASB Bible. Um, that sounds really funny, but it's true. It's true. So, yeah, he's, he's actually quite a bit older than the NASB Bible. So, yeah, MacArthur, it's MacArthur's favorite translation um, uh, of the Bible. He used to preach out of the New King James. I think he used to preach out of the King James when he was really young. Uh, and then there was a while he was doing New King James. And there was even a brief period where he was like experimenting with the ESV when it first came out, but he, uh, he threw it across the room. Oh, so, yeah. and that's not because it's a bad translation. I have an ESV Bible right here. Um, but it's because, I mean, when you're in, when you have the same Bible your whole life, you know, you're going to become so familiar with the, the wording. And so, um, you know, the, the way to think about this isn't, I don't think what you're asking, but I want to help you. Uh, the way to think about Bible translations is rather than like good, bad. I don't think that's a helpful way to think about translations. Uh, good, bad. There are, you know, translations that are bad, like uh, Ellen G. White's translation, you know, the, the cults use, uh, you know, that those are bad translations. But uh, it's not, I don't think it's helpful to think like, well, you carry an ESV, you're not quite as godly as me because I have, you know, the, the NASB and it's the one that the Apostle Paul translated. I mean, just, the Apostle Paul didn't speak English, he didn't speak Mandarin, um, except for 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, maybe he did, but uh, <laughs> seminary joke. So, so the, the attitude I think that you should have about Bible translations is gratitude. Gratitude. There's a lot of places in the world and people in the world who don't have the Bible in their language. So we have a, an abundance. Austin, the other Austin said earlier, we're very rich. Uh, we're, very, we're very rich and blessed to have uh, many different translations of the Bible. And no translation is perfect. It's okay for you to think about translation the way that you think about translation if you learn another language in school. Right now you're in a Spanish class, like a very beginner Spanish class. And sometimes I text you in Espanol and you don't always respond very well. But, <laughs> you know, th there's, there's skills and there's nuance and there's, um, there's an art form to translating. You know, there's, there's people who are able to convey that to the receptor language in a different way than other people. Uh, sometimes a very wooden or a very literal word-for-word -word translation doesn't really convey what you're trying to say. In Spanish, there's a saying uh, about grabbing a donkey by the ears. That doesn't mean anything to you in English. Uh, but in Spanish, it does mean something. Or if I said, contigo, pan y cebollas, it means with you, I would be happy and content all my life. To, well, actually, literally, it means with you, bread and onions. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. So a translation that, that actually conveys the meaning would have to say, uh, with you, I wouldn't need anything else. I would be happy all the days of my life eating bread and onions, just me and Caleb. So that's what that means. It's like a, it's like a sweet thing to say. So th there's, and it's not just in metaphors, all translation requires artfulness. And there's a range of, of domain to words. So uh, be grateful for your Bible translations. Use multiple Bible translations. Pick a good one, and the uh, ones available in English are, are very helpful. Um, so, yeah, don't be a, don't be a Bible translation snob. Uh, there's, there's weird Christians that believe that the King James Bible, King James version of the Bible from 1611, is inspired. 
Like that translation is inspired. Uh, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit got involved in the committee under, you know, godly King James. He wasn't. And, and, and you know, brought this Bible about. But, I mean, there's, and I'll tell you this, there's manuscript errors that are in the family of manuscripts that lead to that translation that we have better versions of now. And, and I mean, it's little tiny things, single words, things like that. But it's no translation is perfect. Not 1611, not your 1995 NASB, not my 1984 NIV, my favorite. Uh, so yeah, that's what I have to say. About that's that was a lot, but oh yeah, great. We no. use it because Pastor John uses it, and it's a great translation. Ain't nothing wrong with the NASB. Great, but I, the reason I said all that stuff is <laughs> is don't be a weirdo. Don't be like a Bible translation weirdo. One, I don't think you're probably an expert in Koine Greek or Hebrew, right? Maybe some of you are, but I don't think you are. So I don't think you're really qualified to comment on Bible translation. And I think, and I would say that to a lot of pastors. Most pastors were not invited to be on any Bible translation committee because they're not qualified to do that. That's a very technical work. And so uh, that's where I'm like, I think it's just one of those, you know, in Corinthians when when the, the factious people are saying stuff like, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. I think sometimes Christians in our circles go, I'm of NASB, I'm of ESV. It's like, what are you dividing over? It's so dumb. So is that helpful? Maybe that's helpful. So be grateful for your Bible. And you know what you should do? Rather than arguing about Bible translations, read it. <laughs> read it. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to help you. That, that's was really that helpful. your question? That, uh, you no, don't have to tell. I've, it's fine. Just a lot. Okay. Lightning round. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So another question we got was about, um, during like musical worship. Um, someone asked at Crossroads okay. and large groups, why do most people not raise their hands during worship? Is there a theological reason? I raised my hands tonight because the song said to, and I looked at <laughs> you guys and you're like, Ugh. what are you doing? Like, I hope you also didn't sing that part. Otherwise, you're lying. <laughs> Look, freedom and expression in worship is, is uh, I mean, I think it's a matter of Christian liberty. I think it's a matter of, of uh, your own kind of personal history. I, I come from Calvary Chapel universe. So when I was a kid, you know, when I talk about my conversion in the, in the fifth grade or whatever, I was... I mean, everybody in my church raised their hands in worship. We clapped in worship. There wasn't a ton of dancing, but some sometimes. And and here's the thing: if you look at what if you if you for a moment got in a time machine and went to uh, the ancient Israelite worship, it would be loud. It would be boisterous. It would sometimes be in a minor key, sometimes in a major key. The instruments that were used would be completely alien to you. You ever heard a sitar? It would maybe sound something like that. And you would be like, oh, what are these people, charismatic? Uh, so, so much of music is cultural. And, and so much of, of the, the style of music. I mean, if you want to be biblical about, you know, physical posture in worship, go to Genesis 38 and, and, and uh, Jacob leans on his staff, the Bible says, and worships. So apparently you can worship like this. You know, it's not about that. Worship, as you said, musical worship is an expression of the heart. It's, it's your heart bowing towards God. It's, it's an adoration towards God. 
It, it, you know, there's, there's indictments of those who worship God physically, but not in an interior way throughout the minor prophets. So, you know, to worship God with your lips, God indicts the people in Amos, but not with their hearts. So I, I think you shouldn't make too much of a physical worship. Our church is very uh, traditional, conservative. We, we, our church was actually a Methodist church, mostly, not, not denominationally, but it was like mostly Methodist people that started our church. And back in the day, they, they were, you know, their, their worship posture was um, like the, when soccer players line up to guard the goal. <laughs> and that's and that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in the Bible, sometimes people are down on their faces. Uh, sometimes they're they're leaning on their staff. Sometimes there's you know David's dancing with no clothes on. Don't do that. Uh, so uh, again, I don't think you can you can pin that down to say it looks like one thing. Here's what you see though. You know, you guys are 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 young folks, so you know about things like Hillsong and jam jams like that. And there you have an opposite problem. There you have like an emotional excess in worship that may or may not be reflecting biblical truth and reality. So what matters in worship is the heart and truth. So that's why Jesus said in John 4, you know, those who worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. That has to do with the, the interior of a person and the, and the actuality of what worship is. So worship needs, most importantly, worship needs to be authentic I think that's what spirit is talking about. In other words, it's, it's something based on conviction, on love for God, on, on a transformed heart, and it needs to be in truth. So you're not singing dumb things like, you know, like a rose trampled on the ground, Sam Dub Smith, uh, and it's from like 15 years ago, so you, you were not born yet. Um, you were born, but so uh, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall or the cross or something, and you thought of me above all. I mean, it's romantic and everything, but it's just not very biblical. You know, I think Christ was consumed uh, with the glory of his father when he bore our sins on the cross. And it wasn't that he didn't care for us, but the chief end of God is not to glorify man. Uh, God isn't, you know, created us because he was lonely. He didn't save us because, you know, uh, he, he didn't save us because... We are more important than he is. So you want to check the theology of a song. I, I think that's more important than, you know, did you have a hand up, a hand down, hands behind your back, your eyes closed, your eyes open. Uh, I mean, think of all the postures of prayer in the Bible. Think of all the postures of, of worship. It's not about the physical. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's helpful to think about in yeah. terms of worship in but general. But if you're going to sing the song about your hands and your, come on, guys. I mean, just, just if you've never done, just pop them up for a second, you know, just, like, just a little, little touchdown, or just don't sing that line. Otherwise, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, now, granted, it's poetry. I'll also say that it's poetry. And the next line talks about trembling, and, and, and I don't think, I don't think you can like cause yourself to do that. So it's, it, you know, things could get weird. So, hopefully, you heard what I'm saying truth and authenticity. I think that's what Jesus is talking about in worship, truth and authenticity. John chapter four, go. Great. So another question is what you're doing a great uh, job. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what should we do if we ever disagree with our pastors, either pastor John or you or no, this aggression will not stand. Oh. <laughs> um, what, okay. What should we do? 
if we ever disagree with our pastors. I assume that you will disagree with me on a regular basis. I, I really don't have any problem with that. Um, and if you're disagreeing with Pastor John, I have a bigger problem with that because he's so much older and smarter than you. Um, but, but for me, I mean, welcome to, I mean, I disagree with me sometimes. So I, I don't know. I, I, so let's think about what this means. Someone asked this question. What did they mean? Uh, like on a doctrinal matter. Like they believe something different about the spiritual gifts or about sure, yeah. men's and women's roles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the Bereans, you'll find them in the book of Acts, uh, were more noble-minded um, because they searched the scriptures to see if what they were being told was true. I like that verse. I like that. That's why there's so many churches called like Berean Bible Church. Uh, the Bereans were noble and, and commended because they believed what the Bible said. So if you disagree with the pastor because he read to you, um, I don't know, abstain from sexual immorality, and you're like, what? This guy's whack. Um, you're not actually disagreeing <laughs> with the pastor. You're disagreeing with the Bible. And in other words, you're disagreeing with God. So if you're talking about some nuance or an interpretation where you take a different angle, I mean, you're at the point in your life, I think that you should hold your, uh, you know, interpretations pretty lightly right now uh, and trust your, your pastor would be my initial thought. I would try a posture of trust. If you have questions, you should study it and you should study the Bible. And if you come to another conclusion, I would also be, be I would be humble about it. I would be careful about it. Um, I mean, there's things that are, are primary teachings in the scripture, and there's things that are secondary or tertiary things in the scripture. Not everything is, is weighted the same. You understand what I mean by that? Like the timing of the rapture isn't as important as the deity of Christ. Not because I'm saying so, but because the Bible puts different emphasis on it. In other words, if you believe something weird about the rapture, not as long as it's not like you must follow Caleb Ting to be raptured, um, <laughs> If you believe something weird about the rapture, uh, you could still be a Christian because you hold to what's called cardinal doctrines, doctrines of first importance, doctrines that have to do with the person of Christ, the nature of God, with salvation, uh, things that are emphasized in the scripture. So uh, I think you want to be mindful of that. Uh, It would be a big part of it. and then, so when you disagree, I, I think you should study your Bible, and I think you should seek wise counselors and be aware that, uh, you know, your pastor hopefully has, has studied this and thought about this more than you have. And so I think your default position should be, all right, I, I want to check that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust, but I want to trust but verify, trust but verify. Does that make sense? Hopefully that's helpful. Cool, then let's, let's tackle some. I wouldn't like make a sign and hold it up like, I disagree. <laughs> That would not be helpful. <laughs> then let's tackle some Bible questions then. Wow. So you know, this, you use Google for a lot of these. I mean, I know I will be. Where's my phone? Somewhere. I don't have it. It's fine. All right. So we have a question from Genesis. Um, so oh, you, Genesis. Welcome. Glad you're here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was a girl named Genesis. No, 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 yeah, no. This no. is, this is. Yeah. Is, so the, the question midterms come on have fun oh my goodness <laughs> yeah so go ahead so the question is 
you know, asks in your recent sermon about lot from Genesis, did Abraham's prayers change God's mind slash plan for Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I wasn't sure if the initial plan was to destroy them completely, but if instead it ended with lot being saved. Yeah. So talk about, no, that's a great question. And I think the reason they're asking that question is because it's presented as like a negotiation, right? Abraham and God. And he's like whittling God down on the numbers. But again, you need to take a, a whole Bible approach to answering a question like a big question, like about prayer. And, you know, if you listen to how Jesus talks about prayer, uh, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, he, he says for them to ask for God's will to be done. Now, you have to understand that God is completely sovereign. Our prayers don't change God. They don't adjust outcomes. God uses our prayers to change, not the outcome, but he uses our, pray- our prayers to change us, to change our perspective. Now, that doesn't mean our prayers are ineffective. It's that God still uses them. They're a means. They're a, a way that he wants to hear from you. He-, he insists that you come to him with your hurts and desires and, and needs and all those things. But ultimately, you understand that when you pray, you say, you know, thy will be done. You also have an awareness that the Spirit has this ministry. The Holy Spirit has this ministry of, of interceding for us when we don't know how to pray. And in that, God has a way of, by way of his Holy Spirit, adjusting our prayers to make them match according to his will. And that's, and it doesn't mean he changes them in your mouth. It's that he changes them between mouth and heaven's court. And so prayer is a wonderful and mysterious thing because God talks to us as if everything is dependent on our prayers, but that's not how God presents himself or, or prayer. In reality, there's another side there. And so there's a tension that we should feel, you know, that our prayers are genuine, that they're real requests, that God's, God's ear is open to us. I think if you have questions about prayer, the best place to study is to just read the Psalms and to pray those Psalms. And those will show you what, what Holy Spirit-inspired prayers sound like. And they don't sound pietistic. They don't sound like church language, sometimes they're very raw and vulnerable. Sometimes they're terrified. Sometimes they're tormented. Sometimes they're elated and rapturous. Uh, The Psalms will teach you to pray better than any other place in the Bible. And believers have always used the Psalms that way. So God is sovereign. Your prayers matter to God. Your prayers don't change God because that's not how the sovereign, immutable, and changeable God works. But they do, um, they are real, and God wants to hear them, and he uses them to change you. That's what I would say. So we actually, on that same note, we actually yeah. have a question about a certain kind of psalms. So oh, okay. um, scholars call this the imprecatory psalms. That's too fancy of a word. you nope. got to pick a different word. Okay, these are the psalms in which David decides to curse his enemies or is really good mad. Job. That's a good definition. Did you like Google it up or something? Or? I did. I yeah, did. Google. Man. Google has a lot. So, so you know, in, in light of reading those imprecatory psalms, like 
how are we supposed to react to them? Are we supposed yeah. to pray in that model in light of, you know, great question. in, in the gospels, you know, Jesus telling us to love our enemies. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Let me give you one. Let me give you one. 137 is, is kind of one of the heaviest ones. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. Uh, that's a musical instrument. Uh, for there are captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then with a mournful voice, the psalmist says, how shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember you, if I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, raise it down, tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, your little children, and dashes them against the rock. Yowz. It's like some infanticide in the Psalms. So whenever you run run into something like that in the Bible, you're kind of like, whoa, you know, what do you do with that? And if you're going to be a, st- a student of the Psalms, and I, I consider myself an amateur Psalm student, I love the Psalms, um, I want to be able to have a category here. And you can't get very far in the Psalms. I think Psalm, well, Psalm 2, the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed one. I kind of wrapped that just now. Um, but... <clears throat> That So right in the second psalm, you already encounter an enemy. You have the unrighteous in Psalm 1, but there's this reference to you know, nations raging against God and, and God's derisive, derisive laugh at them. And then towards the end of the Psalter, you have you know, this call for the enemies of Israel, the captors of Israel, to have their children dashed on the rocks. How, how do you understand that? Number one, context. Psalm 139 is a song. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of emotion in the song, so that's important. But there's more to the context. It's a song about the rivers of Babylon. Uh, the, the Hebrew people were taken into captivity, marched five, 600 miles to Persia, um, forcibly against their will. Those who were small, weak, and sick would have been killed along the way, uh, wouldn't have made it, they would have died. And if they were uh, ill, and slowing down the movement, this forcible movement of people out of their homeland and into foreign territory, I'm quite sure that their children were killed along the way. And so now they are in this foreign land with foreign gods everywhere, their temple torn down to the ground, and their tormentors are saying, hey, sing us some of those psalms that you guys do. We'd like to hear some of those as they drink and curse these people who are basically slaves to them. And so that gives you a little bit of the context, uh, the loss they've experienced. Uh, who's doing this to them? Well, it says the Edomites. That's the people who are the, the enemies of God's people for a long time, people who've hated God, people who God has promised to judge. And so you start to get a fuller picture. Like this isn't just some, you know, some statement of evil. It's a statement of retribution for evil. 
And you'll find a lot of that in the Bible. And you have a lot of room for the judgment of God in the Bible. So what's a Christian's attitude? Can we pray the imprecatory Psalms? I would say yes and no. Jesus teaches us to bless our enemies and do not curse. And I don't think that's in conflict with an imprecatory Psalm. I think you have to listen to both. So if you have an enemy, and if you read your Bible, you will have an enemy. The devil would be one. Uh, the flesh would be another. The world would be a third. Uh, if you have an enemy, you need to be right on how to think about the enemy. You're not supposed to love the devil, for example. Well, Jesus said to love your enemies. The devil's my enemy. See how you're, you've got a broken syllogism there? But you have to be able to process, how do I apply this? I think you can pray a prayer like this. God, I would love that my persecutors and those who hate me would first and foremost be saved. That you would act in compassion towards them. But God, if it is your will, uh, I know that you're a righteous God. And ultimately judgment, the judgment that I deserve, that Christ took from me, is on all who do not believe and all who oppose you. And so I ask for your will to be done. Uh, may you be glorified in their salvation or in their damnation. I think that's an appropriate biblical prayer that, that handles that kind of tension. So it's not, you know, binary. It requires some nuance, some balance. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. No, thank you, Austin. Yeah. Um, so it'd be also helpful if you can discuss... You shouldn't ask me um, Psalms questions. I love the Psalms. I want to talk about the Psalms forever. Some of the staff have called you a psalmist, so that's... A psalmist. So you might have written some, but no, okay. just, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> I'm kidding. So I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> one of the questions uh, mm -hmm. we have is, you know, why does God save some, but not all? And, and what this is tell yeah. us about, you know, God's character. And sure. If there's verses that you can point us to... yeah. That'd be helpful. Yeah, and I, I know that we covered this a little bit in session C, but it was just me and Caleb and like three other people. So um, y'all were living the dream out there and not on campus. But if you were, we did a little study in the book of Romans. Romanos, capitulo nuevo. Uh, Romans chapter 9 verses, I think that'd be the place to look. At the beginning of Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about how he wishes that his fellow Jews, his kinsmen, the Israelites, would be saved because they're the ones that were entrusted with the message uh, that God gave to his people, a message of revelation, his glory, the law, the covenants, all of that. And he wants them to be saved, and, he, and he's, he's struggling with why they are not saved, why they keep rejecting the gospel. And some of you feel this way, not about you know, your Israelite roots, but about your unsaved family members. So in verse six, he says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. So the problem is, is not the purposes of God. It's not that the word isn't strong enough. So what is the problem? He says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What he's going to go on to develop here without getting into deep detail is that within Israel, God's covenant and chosen people, there were those who were saved and there were those who were damned. 
Those who were saved were saved by faith, the same way someone is saved today. Those who were damned were, were damned because they rejected the message. At the same time, there is, reflected in Romans 9, a sovereign predestining kind of reality that underlies those human choices. And the example he gives is the example of Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, one who is elect or chosen in verse 13, and one who's rejected or reprobate in verse 13, Esau. And so that makes you ask a question, which is, well, that's not fair. If God can pick one person in election, predestination, in his sovereign mercy to rescue, but not choose another person, that doesn't sound fair to me. Well, he says, is there any, verse 14, injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And then he gives the example of Pharaoh hardening his heart and God further hardening Pharaoh's heart. And then you ask the question, so I should, I should give you a little bit on that. So the problem isn't that God isn't just. It has to do with your definition of justice. All you deserve is the wrath and curse of God. All I deserve is hell for my sin and for my failure to worship Jesus as I ought to. That's true of every single fallen creature. So the fact that some are saved is an expression of God's mercy. My sister, I have one sister, she's four years younger than me, is not a Christian. And I am a Christian. And it's not because I'm smarter than her. She's actually smarter than me, way better grades in school, etc. Went to a better college, whole deal. It's not because I'm more athletic. She went to state championships. I played, you know, my freshman year, one and done. Uh, it's not because I'm better than her. I mean, it's not because I have a different lineage. We're, we're, we're from the same family. Ultimately, uh, well, first, on a human level, it's because I, I received Christ and she refuses to. But on a divine level, it's at this point, it looks like God has chosen me. And God hasn't opened her eyes yet. And so what do I do with that? I could say, God, it's not fair. Well, actually, not fair would be if he were to, you know, I mean, f I'm sorry, fair, just would be for him to condemn all of us. The nature of mercy is that it's undeserved. And so an expression of mercy is his salvation of one or of the elect of the church. And so he goes on in that chapter. You can read this on your own later, Romans chapter 9. Um, and, I mean, he just answers the questions that you have as a person who thinks about your own will and, you know, we're all human-centered in our thinking. Verse 19, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? I mean, that's the exact question people answer, ask when they're struggling with the doctrine of election. They go, why, well, you know, if God chooses us, then why is it our fault? You know, if, if, if God is the one who actually can save us, open our eyes, make me a Christian, then why does he hold it against those who don't if it's up to him? I mean, it's a really good question. And the way he answers it is, who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Well, that's, that's not an answer. <laughs> that's like 
a mutumbo. That's just like a swat, you know? Just, no, no, no. So, but sometimes, I mean, we've been seeing that in Job. Sometimes you don't get the answer. Sometimes that's in the hidden counsel of God. I mean, you're not him. And that's a good starting point to think about deep and difficult theology, that you are not God. And so you can't understand all his ways. You have one response that's appropriate, and that would be to trust him. I mean, you could certainly bring him all your questions, all your fears, all your hurts, all your anxieties, but ultimately you want a posture of trust. And that's where this chapter concludes. And we still preach the gospel. We still preach the gospel. Romans 10, the very next chapter, it's the same argument is... Uh, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10, 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's still the preaching of the gospel. There's still the responsibility to repent and turn to Christ. And there's still the reality behind it all in the hidden counsel of God that there's election, there's predestination, and there's damnation, a reprobation, a passing over. So that's, a, that's, a, that's like the hardest question in the Bible. So if you don't understand that, welcome to being a person and not God. And it's something that you need to wrestle through. You need to read the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 9. That'd be helpful. John chapter 10, if you want to hear what Jesus thinks about that. John chapter 6. It's the problem is, I mean, nobody I think automatically loves the doctrine of God's sovereignty. But if you trust the Bible and believe the Bible, it's hard to read it without seeing it everywhere. Psalm one fifteen three: God is in heaven; He does whatever He pleases. He's totally sovereign. Okay. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> Okay, we have like three minutes left. We can't go past 10 o'clock or people will fall asleep. That's definitely not true. But I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it on time. Um, what is time? No, I'm asking like a philosophical question. No, keep going. I'm a, I'm a science major. That's not gonna science. <laughs> so you believe in science. Oh. <laughs> so we want to know, okay. Uh, what is your favorite worship song and why? Like why? Oh, so it depends on categories. Like there's my current jam and then there's like hymns that are my favorite forever. So there's like simple hymns I love, like nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's more like clunky, complicated hymns that I love, uh, like a day by day and with each passing hour strength I find to Meet My Trials Here. I love that song. It's usually only sung at funerals, but I love that hymn. And Day by Day, it's called. You could look it up in the hymnal. Um, yeah, there's so many hymns. that, And I didn't grow up with hymns. Like I said, I grew up with like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, it was like all the songs. So when I, when I came to California 15 years ago, I knew like three hymns. I knew like, uh, what's the hymn that everybody knows? Amazing Grace. Oh, yeah. I knew like, uh, what's the wandering, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like I knew that one and like maybe one more. And so I've learned hymns and I've learned to love hymns at, at Grace Church every Sunday. And now I think I know every hymn in that book. 
because, I mean, how many Sundays? That's a lot of Sundays. So, and then we sing at Seminary Chapel and, you know, and we, we jam out on the hymnal at home sometimes. Mm. So, <laughs> so I love hymns and, and I love so many of them. But, you know, and then I listen to a lot of contemporary jam, worship. There's actually the song I've been listening to a lot. Um, con, con Monsano, Musica Monsano. Uh, that's Apple music. I, I think oh. you just would say app, okay. Musica, Apple. But. <laughs> it's a tongue, though. That's not really how you would say it. I'm being funny, but <laughs> wait, one of you doesn't think I'm funny. Who was that? Just kidding. It's way more than one of you. Um, <laughs> oh, man. So there's this Hillsong song. I, I know I'm not allowed to like Hillsong. I just like complained about Hillsong a minute ago, but there's this great Hillsong song uh, called King of Kings. It's like a creedal song. I love that song. And I've been listening to my truck a lot. Like in the morning, I'll listen to it. I'm taking the kids to school. Um, it's got good theology. I mean, right. some of their songs have terrible theology, but, uh, you know, I don't listen to those ones. So, yeah, I mean, I listen to so, so many different things. I'm not a big music guy. That was, was that Metallica? That was, I, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a hair band from the, from the 80s, a Christian hair band called Striper. Oh. Yeah. Anybody know Striper? Yellow and Black Attack? It's strong. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that into music. But I love hymns, and I, there's, there's praise songs that I love. And, and it'll be the truth of it, that that one that I'm talking about, I love, what I love about that song is that it rehearses the gospel story from creation to consummation in, in a really, uh, I think, poetic and biblical, very biblical language. It's, it's a cool song. I'm not mad at that song. Yeah, wow. I love that song we sang. I loved all the songs we sang today. Yeah, yeah. R- Riley's good at picking good songs. So he has good hair too. Have you noticed? It's like a fresh. He voice. does. Yeah. Amen. That doesn't matter as much, but I would <laughs> no, no, mention no. it. I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Riley's hair. Yeah. Okay. So we have only time for one more. Okay. Good. So you know, if your question has not been answered, we have you know your office hours. Yeah, or we can reload this sometime. We'll That's also true. Sometime. Yeah, yeah. So um, we all know about. There's some good questions in here. I'm peeking at them right now. No, whatever you want. You you choose. I'm interested. So you guys like Q and A? Thumbs down if you don't like Q and A. Be honest. I don't care. You don't like Q and A. That dude does it, but he's laughing really hard. Do you like Q and A? Thumbs up if you like Q and A. I mean, not like every. Well, most people like Q and A. That guy hates Q and A. Sorry, bro. I'm not mad at you. Um. <laughs> so, so this last one is actually just going to be about um, kind of a recent event. Um, okay. we've, we've all heard it. Um, and this is about you know Kobe and uh, the Kobe. other members of those Kobe. helicopter crash. Um, yeah, and one of the students wrote, you know, I've been a big fan of Kobe all my life, and I, you know, grew up watching him. Um, but I'm having a hard time processing his death. Um, sure. How do you approach this situation as a believer? It's a great question. It's a great question. Okay, I need to answer this on two levels. Uh, first, on a basketball level. Because I am, I am a fan of what we call the association. And <laughs> as most of you know, I'm a lifelong, diehard Celtics fan. And Boom. I know... I'll bite you right now. Oh my so, that's how Celtics are. We just punch. We're recording so, you. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not like LA. So, so here's the thing. What? Here's the thing. 
Kobe, this is the first answer, Kobe was almost a Celtic. In the draft, which he was drafted in 06, I think? No. No, no, no. He was drafted in... Uh, hold on, I got it. I got it. Wait for it. What year was he drafted? He was drafted on June 6th, the 26th of June. That was the draft date. What year? 96. Okay. I graduated from high school in 1996. Yeah. Anyway, the Celtics almost drafted him. You know what we did instead? We picked Antoine Walker. <laughs> Unbelievable. He did a workout in front of Red Arbaugh. I mean, the whole thing. Okay, so that's my first answer. I'm a huge fan of the association, and Kobe has significant basketball influence. And you got to respect the game, even if it was Kobe's style. So, and a Laker. So, so I'm a big fan of the association, and obviously respect him as a player. Um, I would add to that that that's a common grace. Basketball is a common grace. And maybe you're not into basketball. It's not your common grace. It's my common grace. Um, maybe you're into like, you know, Udon or something. That's, that's, that's a common grace too. And I actually, I share your love for the Udon. So, or maybe you're into watercolor painting or whatever. I mean, all these things are... Co- <laughs> I said watercolor painting. Somebody goes... Ooh. <laughs> so all these things are common graces. You know, the fact that God made Kobe, you know, out of some special stuff. Uh, the guy was just a phenomenal athlete. And, and so I think you can appreciate that. And I think too often we're, we're automatically, we just, you know, we sheep and goat everything. You know, world church, world church. And, and that God made this world and God loves this world. And there is so much to, to behold and appreciate in just the brilliance of both human ingenuity and in sports or in technology or, or whatever it is you're into. That's, that's called common grace is what theologians have called that for a long time. And so as a, as a creature made in God's image, uh, there is, there's much to say about, about any creature um, now, was Kobe some kind of perfect creature? By no means. You know, he, he was a sinner like all the rest of us. And for some reason, the death of a celebrity, especially when someone famous and you know, known worldwide dies, what we would say, uh, people say prematurely, uh, or dies too young, gone too soon, it, it shakes everybody. And that is such a good thing. The reason it's a good thing is because it's a reminder to all of us every time someone dies, whether it's your elderly grandmother or whether it's an, you know, Kirk Douglas at 103 or Kobe at 41, my age, I'm 37. Um, <laughs> Ting thinks I'm 37 and we're keeping it that way, Okay. So whenever somebody dies at whatever age, it is a reminder that we live in a fallen world. It's a reminder that God hates sin. I'm not saying God killed Kobe because he was sinful. I'm saying that because sin reigns in a fallen world, death rules. And the only way to get out from under death is by way of Christ and his resurrection. 
So if you cannot find solace and sanctuary in Christ, you will face death. And worse than that, you will face second death. So every time someone dies, it should be this resounding clap from heaven that reminds you that, that sin is a problem. Death is, is unnatural and, and evil and wrong. And it should, it should tear you up to think about it because people are dying. Thousands of people are dying in this city every day apart from Christ. And so let it wake you up. Let it sober you. Let it, let it you know, examine your life. But don't go Tim McGraw with it like, well, I'm going to go skydiving. Uh, instead, think about what really matters in this life. And you can enjoy basketball and you can enjoy skydiving and you can learn to play the cello. I hope you do. But ultimately, if your life is not hidden in Christ, if you have not given yourself by, by faith or in faith to Jesus, if you've not trusted his promises to flee from the wrath of God that your sin deserves, then you have no hope in the face of death and you should be very afraid. And that's true for every single one of you, whether you grew up in the church, you've been part of GOC, uh, none of those things will save you. The only thing that will save you is Jesus and trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. And so that's, I think that's the value of thinking rightly about Kobe. I don't know if Kobe was a Christian. I don't know if he trusts Jesus. I don't know if, you know, he's, I don't know. I didn't know Kobe. I never met Kobe. Um, and so I don't think it's helpful for me to say, you know, well, you know, the Christians will weigh in and, and talk about, you know, if this person's in heaven or hell. I mean, I don't know, but God does. And I know on what basis he admits someone into heaven. And that is on the merit of Jesus and Jesus alone. So you can't be good enough. You can't be clean enough. You have to be washed by the blood of Jesus. So that, that's what Kobe makes me think of. I mean, it's just such a sad story. All those people on the helicopter and um, you know, kids and, and parents. And, and so we pray for their grief. We ask God to to somehow use this for his purposes and to bring comfort to hurting people and to, for this to drive people to the gospel. But ultimately, you got to tell yourself the truth that you're going to die too. And are you ready to, are you ready to face, face God? And on what basis will you, will you face him? So I think that's, that's how I would answer that question. And I think you can, you can be, you can be I mean, there's nothing wrong with being sad about that. That's a, it's a sad story and death is sad. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Austin. But no, Jesus oh. is better. Amen, Austin. Thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, you know, thank you again, Austin, for doing this Q and A. Thank for... you, Caleb Ting, for doing this Q and A. Oh yes. <laughs> so you know, we know it's late and ten um... ten. You guys are partying hard tonight. Yeah, we're, we're pushing it, but that's okay, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you guys have any questions about what you've heard tonight, um, feel free to, you know, ask me, talk to me, talk to, you know, whoever brought you or a staffer who's on, you know, who's on staff or Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feel free to just talk to any of us. And if your question wasn't answered tonight, but you still really want to ask it, you can, you know, ask him Anytime you want to find him after crossroads or you can, you know, email him. We'll do it again sometime soon. That's true. We can also do that, you know, or change it up, have different questions. Um, These are good questions. Good job on the questions, you guys. 
Yeah, so with that, Austin, can you close us with prayer and I we'll will. invite up Riley and the team? Yeah.